Welcome to the Find Your Light podcast, celebrating women plus in theater. Um, my guest today is Dr. Kate Bissell. She's the founder of Heartland Intimacy Design and Training, which offers academic, accessible, and affordable intimacy training, which is entirely online and self-paced through um, modules that you can take on your own time, which I think is awesome. She's also an assistant professor of movement and stage combat at the University of Oklahoma and is an actor combatant. That's so cool. Okay. Can we just pause for a second about that title? <laughs> actor combatant with the Society of American Fight Directors. Um, as a researcher, and this is how I met Kate, uh, she is an expert in de-rolling and debriefing techniques staging sexual violence, intimacy in new play development, and theatrical intimacy pedagogy. Dr. Cates, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. All right. So let's start with, um, we've already established your name and your titles. Um, give us a snapshot of what you do. I know in a lot of the arts world, a typical day is not really a thing that exists. Um, but just like a snapshot of maybe, maybe what does a week look like or what are yeah. some things that you're excited about that you're working on right now? Yeah. I mean, so a couple different things, right? So it depends on whether or not I have students who have uploaded assignments. Um, so that's the beauty of self-paced work, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, uh, it's just a matter of, um, I have a lot of students who, um, will send me massive apology emails, which are like, I'm so sorry. It's been so long since I've uploaded something. <laughs> and I always email me them back and I say, it is totally okay. That is the entire point of this course being self-paced. It's whenever you have time. I am not sitting here on the other end of the computer, like tapping my watch, like, Emily, where is your assignment? <laughs> you are overdue. Um, there's no, there's no due date. It's whenever you have time. Um, so if I have assignments that have been turned in, um, I'll sit down usually and I will um, spend quite a bit of time um, sometimes there are videos that they've uploaded of them demonstrating the technique. So mm -hmm. what I'll do is I'll go in and I'll watch those videos and I'll hit play and pause, play and pause and type down notes of like, okay, great. At one fifteen, you said this, and this was really awesome because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, but at one thirty nine, you did this thing. Let's try and do this a little differently next time. So then that way, when you are in the room with these people again, this is what you can do differently. So mm -hmm. I really try to give that outsider eye perspective because that um, active learning process is something that we're not really getting in any other form of intimacy training. Um, so a lot mm -hmm. of times when you're taking intimacy training online, um, it's a workshop where you've got someone like me who's up in a Zoom box usually lecturing you um, and saying, here's how to do the thing. And then afterwards it's go forth, conquer the world. Um, and then you just have to hope that your notes are good enough and you have to hope that you remembered everything, mm -hmm. right? You don't have someone to just turn around and say, you're doing great kid, right? You just need yeah. that person sometime that says yeah. you're doing great, right? I, well, I mean, it's kind of, um, it's really drawing on the value of side coaching. Yes. Right. And like being there, like giving commentary, you know, as, as in the moment as you possibly can be without traveling all over the world and being in the room with everyone while they're doing their coaching. Right. Well, and I think that's the other thing too, is there's this assumption that like, if I'm not in the room with them as they're doing it, they're going to cause harm or they're <laughs> going to cause trauma, right? It's like, 
there's literally a camera watching their every move and then they're going to upload that. Like, I think, I think that's a pretty good accountability measure, right? That like, <laughs> that, that's a pretty, they're literally on camera. Um, so, I mean, and, and usually the people who are wanting to do this training aren't the creeps, right? So like, that's not, that's not who's taking this training. Um, so it's been really exciting to see those people go, oh my God, watching this back, I learned so much. I didn't realize I did X, Y, Z. Oh, I did. I said this thing seven times. I said it seven times, right? So it's again, <laughs> that like reflective active learning process, um, which is really exciting. And they're like, I learned so much more by getting up and doing the thing um, than I did just by sitting and listening. So I'll go through, I'll grade those. And then that's all with the Heartland. That's all with Heartland. Yep. So that's all with the Heartland modules, right? So they'll go through, um, sometimes there's readings that they'll do. So they'll might do a reading and they might respond to a reading that I've assigned them. Um, and sometimes they're like, I can't believe this happened or, oh, I had this happen to me. Right. So sometimes we can get some of the, that trauma unpacked in a, in a healthy and productive way. Um, because that is a big part of the intimacy work, right. Is that, ah, you know, we've, we've, come such a long way as an industry, but yet we also have so far to go. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's, there's a lot of that too. Um, so I'll, I'll have usually a couple assignments come in every week. Right. So I'll go through and I'll track those. Um, right now, I mean, last night I just had our, uh, first read through rehearsal for a production. I'm working on a Venus in fur, um, by David Ives, which is a very, very sexy play, which is very funny because it's a very sexy play, but there's not actually a ton of physical contact in that play. It's much more about the atmosphere of BDSM in the play and the atmosphere of, of sexiness. Um, so how do we communicate that and what are the adjustments we'll make to give us that feel um rather than like we're seeing everything um so working with that um and also kind of um lining up schedules with people of like hey i need you for this upcoming project hey i need you for this upcoming project and then of course my lovely lovely students who are like hey um i want to shadow you for xyz or hey i have this idea for my senior capstone project or hey i want to do um this for my final, uh, how does this sound to you? So, you know, the perks of being a professor too, is that, um, I have people who are really thinking ahead of, Hey, but what about this? Hey, but what about this? Right. And it's helping me think about how to explain things better, um, and how to teach better, um, for what I'm putting in the modules. So it it does really vary, um, week to week, but, Mm -hmm. um, overall it's, it's really exciting to have an actual group of students that I can go and sit down with and go, okay, great. Here's what I'm thinking this week. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? And just seeing them kind of go, oh, let me wrestle with that. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're just so yeah, excited like to learn. Mm-hmm. And we met at the, in Bloomington, Indiana, actually, yes. it, which is neither my backyard nor your backyard. Not even um, a little bit. Not even. Um, at the International Thespian Festival, which is a large high school theater festival. Um, and you were leading workshops there. How often yes. do you travel to do workshops like that? Um, all the time, which is great. Um, and part of it is for recruitment, right? So part of it is us trying to recruit students to say, hey, did you know you can do theater in Oklahoma? Yes, there is theater (laughs) in Oklahoma. 
Um, <laughs> it's not just on the coasts, I promise. Um, so there, that's part of it. Um, but for me, you know, what I always find much more exciting and I think is a better reflection of like, hey, here's how you really get to know whether or not you want to go to a place. Let's do a workshop with one of the professors, right? And see um, what the work is like. Um, and for me, when I we were presented with the opportunity of like, hey, let's go do recruitment at ITF. I immediately was like, well, I want to try and do some workshops and maybe a mm -hmm. professional development intensive because those those high school teachers are the people who need the skills and need the resources. Um, so if I'm going to go, I don't want to just sit and talk at a booth the whole time. I want to go up and, and do workshops and, and do all of that. So I was very lucky um, that I, I was uh, tasked with seven workshops during the week, yeah. which is a lot, um, mm -hmm. but it was great. I enjoyed every second of it. Um, and it really was wonderful to meet have groups of not just faculty, but also students and faculty in a space together learning, mm -hmm. um, which I think is something that students don't really get to experience all that often of like, oh, the teachers are learning too. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's a cool thing for them to be like, oh, my teachers are learning. And there was um, the first day of the workshop when I had my first de-rolling and debriefing workshop, all, I had a group of students come up to me and they said, hey, we just did this show. We didn't have any of these tools. Mm -hmm. um, it would have been really, really helpful for us if we had had these tools. How do we talk to our teacher about getting these tools? And I said, well, you're in luck. I'm doing this workshop again in two <laughs> days. Why don't you tell your teacher, hey, you should go to this workshop. And lo and behold, that teacher came to that workshop two days later. And she said, hey, my students recommended your workshop to me. Um, and this is really helpful. I'm really excited to implement some of these techniques in the fall. Um, so, you know, I, I told the students, I'm like, you have a lot of agency and power in this too, that, you know, if a student comes up to me as an instructor and says, Hey, I'm really excited about this thing I just learned. Cool. Great. Like, how can I learn more? Because if my students are excited about it, I want to know yeah. about it. I want to be Absolutely. the cool professor. Like I want to be the cool teacher that knows the cool thing. Yeah. Um, so, and especially if my students are excited about it, mm -hmm. like, heck yeah, sign me up. Yeah. And like, honestly, younger people are often on the leading edge of stuff, right? They're the yeah. ones who are kind of like seeing the new upcoming things, getting really excited about it. And so we can really take a cue. I say we, like me, I'm, I'm 40. I'm not that old, but, um, you know, people my age, maybe an older can really take cues from what the youth are interested in because yeah. they're, they're seeing the new stuff as it comes up and they're going to see it faster than we are for the most part. Absolutely. Okay. So the workshop that I took with you at ITF was, um, was on de-rolling. Can mm -hmm. you like in a sentence or two, explain what de-rolling and debriefing is and why we should do it in theater? It's totally. A big topic, I know. Yeah, absolutely. So de-rolling is the process of transitioning from character back to actor once a performance has concluded. So it just like we warm up at the beginning of a performance or before a performance begins, de-rolling is the processing of cooling down, right? So we're coming back down at the other end of a performance and we're stepping out of character. So we step into our character before we go on. That's the warm up. We step out of our character as the performance is over. That's de-rolling. Debriefing is the conversations that we can have at the end of the rehearsal process along the way for us to be better collaborators in space and for us to be able to say, hey, here's what's working, here's what's not. How can we work, move forward in a more healthy, productive, collaborative process along the way 
rather than wait all the way to the end, all the way to the end um, with a post-mortem, right? When we can't make any more changes because the show has closed. So debriefing is the act of active learning, right? This, this is the theme mm-hmm. of my life, right? <laughs> um, active learning where we're going, okay, so this is successful. So we'll keep doing this piece. This, we could tweak this some more. Let's try a couple of things. Let's see if we can tweak this some more um, and see if we can make use of this piece of time a little bit better um, for tomorrow's rehearsal or next week's rehearsal when we come back to the scene. Um, and then we can reorganize the schedule a little bit differently. So then that way, so-and-so's time's not wasted as much. So then that way you have a more successful collaborative process um, rather than having people feeling like, well, this is just what it is, or, mm-hmm. well, I'm just kind of stuck for the show, or I feel like I don't really have any agency because we've got this hierarchical theatrical structure here that mm-hmm. we have to follow. And so it's like, well, this is what it is. This is what I signed up for. We can actually be a lot more collaborative along the way than we think we can be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I've talked to a lot of people um, since coming home from Indiana um, about the like the power of de-rolling and how important it can be. And um, one of the things that I've heard a couple times from people is, oh, well, right, right now we're only like a friend of mine is doing um, Romeo and Juliet and, mm-hmm. and they're in the middle of rehearsals. And she's like, well, right now we're just doing the comedy stuff. So we don't really need that. What's your response? So here's the thing. If we, if we tried to tie de-rolling to only the really serious stuff, it's going to be a lot harder to learn how to do it um, than when we just do it all the time, right? So it's just like, it's kind of like a muscle, um, just like when we're doing stretching, right? At the end of a workout, um, if you only do it after you lift weights, then it, it's not going to be as effective than if you did it after every workout. Um, so it's a matter of creating that muscle memory, creating that ritual, creating that skill of, okay, these are the steps I need to do to transition in and out of character and creating that separation of character and actor, creating that barrier space. And sure, right, there might be shows where you don't need to do as many steps to transition in and out of character. There might be a show where you are, you know, uh, you are playing maybe uh, like the grave digger in Hamlet, right? You might not need to do as much to transition out of that role. But if you're playing Hamlet, right, um, you're going to have to do a lot more to step out of that role after you're done playing Hamlet because you literally just died on stage. <laughs> so like it, if you don't have the like foundational core practice with it and you're just only applying it in the massive scale or you're only applying it in moments of trauma, right, that it's kind of like, OK, well, then now I'm going to associate de-rolling with like, oh, it's only for trauma roles, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't have to be. And and the idea that we can also compartmentalize it too of, oh, I have a comedic role that is comedy, 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 really big, heavy moment, comedy, comedy, comedy. We can use it for that specific, really big, heavy moment too, um, to help adjust that character back out. If that moment of confession or discovery or whatever, um, if there's a moment of vulnerability that's really heavy and then it shifts back to comedy after that, right? If there's something about the script that there's a nuanced discovery of this character, um, 
we need to be able to help the actors navigate those shifts um, in ways. So if they don't have the mm-hmm. practice with the skill, they're not going to be able to develop the skill. That would be right. my response. Yeah, absolutely. And you, for this work, have gone into fields outside of theater because it didn't exist in theater. And so you were looking at like nursing and the military. And I just think that's really cool that you were really like going like outside of the arts world and finding where are people actually just doing this, like transitioning back into real life work and then applying it to theater in really simple, simple ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things that, I mean, the history of, of this work in theater um, is brief, but it's actually like a lot longer than we would think it is. Um, so, I mean, thinking back to, um, so one of my graduate school mentors, Suzanne Burgoyne, um, she was kind of one of the pioneers of putting this into the theater world. Um in, in 1991. Right. And so it's like, okay, we're in 2022. Um, so that's, that's been a significant amount of time. Um, but even prior to that, right. Janice rule wrote this psychiatry article or psychology article, um, about an actor who was having difficulty, um, with his spouse. Um, and it would be at random points where he was like, I'm not sure, like we're having a lot of arguments right now and we're just, we're really having difficulty. And it was because he was playing a violent man on stage that was having a lot of aggression towards women and mm-hmm. aggression towards his wife on stage. But the second the show was over, he was fine. Um, and that was in 1973, right? Mm-hmm. So like there's there's points of this that have trickled in. It's just the problem is we as a field have kind of been like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we've just kind of dismissed it of like, yeah, 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 we know. Like, and just never really incorporated it. Mm -hmm. And what I think that boils down to is poor time management on our part, (laughs) which is really like the culprit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like we just have not been managing our time well. Mm -hmm. And it's really because it's like, oh shoot, we have five minutes left of class. Okay. Go, go, go finish your scene. Great. Thanks so much, everyone. Um, that's the end of class. Right. And we just leave them hanging. We don't create any closure. We don't create any rituals and we don't have time to teach anything about closure rituals. Um, so it's poor time management on our yeah. professorial parts um, and uh, on our educator well, and, parts. And director slash mm-hmm. stage manager slash assistant director. Yeah. Yeah. All the so, people who are in charge of time. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, because we're, we're, we're so go, go, go. And we're so focused on like, we have to create the work. Our assumption is that this wind down process is not part of the work. Right. 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 And so now we have to start shifting our thought that this wind down process is part of the work and we have to put it back into the process of having it be part of our work. Um, Because if we don't, then we're going to have all of these actors wandering around that are kind of like, I feel like like uh, I'm (laughs) aggravated and like I just. I want to fight everybody and I'm in a bad mood and I'm constantly in a bad mood because my character's in a bad mood, but I don't make that connection because mm-hmm. no one's told me to make that connection before. Um, and so I'm just aggravated. And so I'm just going to go cope with a bunch of food, bad television, nothing's working. Okay. So then I guess I'll have a drink. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Cause how do we cope in theater? We go to the bar and we talk about rehearsal or the show afterwards. And like, yeah. this is just, this is how we have such bad systemic 
<laughs> drug and alcohol abuse in the theater, right? Like it just, yep. one thing leads to the other, right? And so- Whereas is- if you prioritized, um, you know, five to 10 minutes in the, at the end of the rehearsal schedule each day and let people like wash it off and, yes. and move through it um, in a, um, like a sanctioned way, I guess, or like in a careful, yeah. intentional way together, then they wouldn't, I mean, they would probably still go out afterwards, but they would do it in maybe a healthier way and as yeah. more fully as themselves. Right. Well, and it wouldn't be like, oh, I need to go get a drink because we just mm-hmm. did that scene 17 times and I'm exhausted. And I like, I just, you know, we, we yeah. did something at the end of rehearsal. We we're basically creating a closure ritual, right? That's basically what we're doing. We're creating some sort of ritual that says, Hey, here is, um, us, you know, we talk about all the time in acting, the way to have a really solid audition monologue. You need to have that button on the end of the monologue. You need mm-hmm. to have that button on the end of the scene. Why not have the button on the end of rehearsal, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've got to have that like closure of, Hey, we manifested this like whole other life and character for the last three hours. Cool. <sighs> Let's bring it back together. Yeah. Let's breathe together. Hey, cool. None of that was real. Mm-hmm. All imaginary pretend. Let's be goofy and silly for a minute. Shake it all off. And now you can go do your math homework. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If there was, um, if there was one thing that you do in your work, whether it's like a strategy, a technique, a habit of mind that you do within this work of intimacy and de-rolling debriefing that we could apply to our real lives, Mm. what should it be? Ooh, that's a good question. Thank you. It's one of my favorites. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is one that I struggle with. Mm. And so this is one that um, I, I always tell my students to do, um, and this is one that, um, is a challenge for everyone. I think, especially like right now with the political climate and everything that like we're, we're in, um, and that is to always assume good intent. Mm. Um, and that one is so hard, um, because, there are so many times where you are like, I don't understand like what that reaction was about. Like, uh, like they must be something about me or whatever. Right. And like, it truly never has anything to do with you. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like we (laughs) all love, we all love to make it about ourselves because Mm -hmm. like, that's what makes it Right. Um, And we just, if we always assume good intent, right. If my student comes to class late, right. I am going to try my best to assume good intent, right. That maybe they had a really hard time finding a parking spot because I know parking on our campus is notoriously difficult. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm going to assume that they had the best intentions of being to class on time. But unfortunately, they couldn't make it to class on time because there are factors beyond their control that prevented them from being to class on time rather than me being mad that they are late again. Right. Why waste my energy in that way um, when I know that there are factors beyond the control? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, When there are moments where 
I see a student getting really frustrated or I see an actor getting really like frustrated in a scene and I can tell like, hey, like this might have actually nothing to do with what's happening in this moment, right? I'm going to assume good intent here and say, okay, you know what? I think we're just going to like take a five, right? Like, Mm -hmm. let's just take a five because whatever is being manifested in this moment, I don't think has anything to do with what's actually happening in this space. Um, And maybe they just like, maybe they just got like a bad text from their spouse or from their partner or whatever. And they just like, they're aggravated about something that has nothing to do with me. Right. Um, and this is so hard, right? Because we, we, as a culture, right, we're individualistic as a culture. And so Mm -hmm. we want, we want it all to be about us all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's so easy for us to be like, man, that person was really snippy and really rude in class. And like, I'm going to go on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever. And I'm going to like tell all my friends about how rude or awful that person was. And then it's like a whole thing. And then Mm -hmm. I walk into class the next day and everyone's mad at each other. And I'm like, what happened? Like everything was (laughs) fine. Last Mm -hmm. class, what happened? Right. And no one's telling me anything because I'm the weird professor that's like, hey, everyone likes respect each other's boundaries. Right. Like that's that's my job. Um, So that I think is like the hardest one, Um, especially right when we have such like disparate views on like what good intent can be. Um, so that I think is like the hardest one. Mm -hmm. Um, but I generally think that people don't go around intentionally trying to be jerks. Like I don't, I don't think that anyone is generally trying to go around being like, ah, yes, I'm going to violate their boundaries today. Like, I don't think, (laughs) yeah, I don't think that's the goal for most people. Like I say, like when, when a boundary is accidentally violated, it's accidentally violated the first time, right? Like nine times out of 10, it's an accident the first time. Second time, it's probably still an accident. Third, fourth, fifth time, we probably need to have a conversation because mm-hmm. then I'm starting to think it's intentional. But like for us to assume <gasps> my boundary has been violated, right? Mm-hmm. That must be malice. That must be someone who is trying to harm me. Like Yeah. We can't jump to that. We have to go to, I'm assuming good intent. I'm assuming that was an accident. Yeah. Right. We have to assume good intent, which is like, oh, it's so so hard. How do we do it? Like, what is your, let's say you're in that situation where like a student walks in late. Um, what do you do? What do you say to yourself? Um, well, I say to myself, you know, they are, you know, that's basically, that's what I say to myself. I'm like, Hey, could be parking, could be whatever. Right. I have a whole other group of students that are here and ready to learn, right? I need to try and refocus my energy towards the people who are here and who are ready to go, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and rather than channel my frustration, right? Rather than channel my um, irritation, right? I It's so hard when you have, you know, it's so easy when you have like one student that you're just like, right? Um, but you have a whole class full of other <laughs> mm-hmm. students that are like, I'm here, I'm ready, right? Teach me, mm-hmm. right? So it's a matter of shifting your focus back to the ones that are here, who are happy, who are ready to learn, who are ready to go. And okay, so they're late. So what? 
that impacts their grade doesn't impact my salary. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? So like, that's, that's for, that's their consequence that they're going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, basically I just kind of note it and move on that like, mm-hmm. Hey, they were tardy, whatever. Um, and for me, you know, I, I'm always about finding ways to redeem Um, that, you know, if there is something that they're like, Hey, listen, I know I went over my absences or whatever. Like, is there anything I can do? The answer is always yes. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. absolutely. There's always makeup work you can do. There's always stuff you can do to bail yourself out. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, like you have to do work, right? Like, it's not just Mm -hmm. me being like, Oh, never mind, It doesn't matter because like that matters in the real world. Um, Mm -hmm. being late to your job every day, that would matter in the real, real world. Um, so it's a matter of just shifting your focus back to, okay, there are, that's one out of 13, right. That are sitting in front of me, ready to go here, excited, ready to do this, you know, warm up, um, for our movement (laughs) class, um, that they all sing along to because they love the song so much. Um, and, uh, you know, they're excited to be here and learn some restoration period movement and some corsets. You know what I mean? Like you just have to shift your focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, I it's think hard. that's another thing. It's yeah. hard. Well, it's another thing that, um, is, is a skill that's easier to do when it's a less hurtful moment. Yes. And so the more we practice that in the small moments, the easier it becomes when it's someone that you're very close to or, a boundary, like you said, that maybe is very important to you that is pushed several times. Um, so yeah, I think like that it's a practice, right? It's a practice. And also too, like, I also don't want to dismiss that like power dynamic is not part of it, right? Like in that scenario, I'm in the position of power, Mm -hmm. right? But if my boundaries are being crossed repeatedly by someone who's in position power over me, right? Like that's a very different dynamic. Um, and, and that's something that at some point I am going to have to assert like, Hey, Mm -hmm. just so you know, right. Or I'm going to have to start protecting myself or doing things to protect myself, whether that's through documentation, paper trails, Mm -hmm. what have you like, Hey, like, I need you to know that this is not acceptable for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a, it is a skill. Um, and it, it does take practice, but again, it's a matter of like, Hey, I, I don't think you mean for it to come across this way. Right. Um, and you know, another skill that I like to offer is this is what you said and say it back to them. Mm -hmm. Is that what you meant? Mm -hmm. Right. Because a lot of times when people hear what they say back to them, they go, Oh no, yikes. That is not what I meant to say. right. Right. Um, so that helps too, when you give people the opportunity, right? Again, it's a, it's an assuming good intent of, I don't think you meant to put your foot in your mouth that far. Mm -hmm. Um, let me see if I can help you course correct, (laughs) right? Let me see if I can help you here. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not always going to be, you know, the case. Um, sometimes they're going to go, sometimes they just put the foot in even further. And you're just like, okay, <laughs> all right. Well, okay. But at least you I, I assumed, at least now, you I know, good intent, right. <sighs> I did my due diligence. I assumed good intent. Unfortunately it's malice. And now I have to document that in an email, right? Yeah. Like that yeah. you, you did what you could do. Yep. Um, all right, Dr. B 
take us to the moment when you knew that theater was the thing for you. <laughs> um, let me think. Sophomore year of high school, mm-hmm. I was picking my schedule for junior year. And I was, I had been doing theater my whole like little kid life, right? Mm-hmm. Like since probably third grade, you know, on, um, been doing all the stuff, um, all the little skits, all the little shows, you know, all that kind of stuff, camp, blah, blah, blah. And my sophomore year, I was looking at my schedule and I'd been one of those kids that I liked a lot of things, um, that was somewhat creatively oriented Mm -hmm. and, this was the first time that I had to like choose mm. um, because I realized I had like applied to for the school newspaper. Right. And they were like, oh, yep, your writing's great. Absolutely. You can do it. Um, it meets at this time. And then I realized that was the exact same time as drama. Ooh. And they were like, mm-hmm. you have to pick. Do you want to do drama or do you want to do newspaper? Was, oh, no. Oh, no. What do I do? Um, and so I went back and forth and I went back and forth and I was like, no, I really want to do drama class. Um, so I picked drama and then I was like, uh oh, okay. So like, wait a minute, is there more to this here? Um, and so I went home and I like talked to my dad and, um, you know, I was like, I think, I think I really want to do like theater for a living. And of course my parents, my dad is a mortgage banker and my mom is an OBGYN. So they're like, (laughs) what, what the hell is this? (laughs) Right. They're like, what weird arts kid? Like, what do we do here? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my dad's, my dad, mortgage banker, right? Remember this. He looks at me and he goes, that's great. How are you going to make money? And Uh I was like, fair, fair. And I'm like, well, I like to mentor people. Mentoring is something I'm good at. I like Mm -hmm. to like guide people and, and, and help people. I, when I graduated high school, I had been to 17 different schools between, when I started kindergarten and high school, because we just moved around so much. Um, So I was always the new kid. And so I had gained a lot of skills of like always being the new kid and then helping all the new kids like transition into the school because I Mm. knew what I wish I needed like at each place. Um, And so I was like, well, I could like teach theater. I could do that. I could do that. Yeah, I could teach and that's like a stable income. Um, so when I, um, was looking at schools to attend, um, I went to, uh, meet, um, the chair of the department at Michigan state. And, um, he's like, so what do you, you know, what do you want to do, um, with your theater degree? And I said, well, to be perfectly honest, sir, I want your job. And he just burst (laughs) out laughing and he's like, yeah, great. I love it. (laughs) He's like, he's like, I'm retiring this year, so you can have it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that basically started me down to like, okay, I want to be a theater professor. What do I need to do to be a theater professor? Right. Mm-hmm. And like all of those kind of weaves and winds to like get to where I am now. Um, but yeah, that, that sophomore year, man, that newspaper, 
newspaper or drama, man, Mm. that was pivotal choice, pivotal choice. Yeah. And here you are. Okay. This is a brand new question, um, recommended and I'm, I'm excited about it because I think it, uh, does some really interesting things. Um, and it's adapted from, of course I can't remember their name, but it was suggested to me by a friend who took a workshop who was like, oh, in the workshop, they asked us to introduce ourselves by saying, uh, by including where our mother was born Mm. because it puts you into, well, first it's like kind of places you in space, right? Like generationally, and it puts you into a matrilineal orientation, right? So your mother, you have mentioned is an OBGYN. What is her relationship to theater? Yeah. Um, so her relationship to theater is, um, really very sparse. Um, I think they were mainly looking for things that I was excited by. Mm -hmm. Um, the, they did several things though, that doomed me from the start, right? Like that they, they, like, they're (laughs) like, we have no idea how this happened. I was like, really? Um, because, my mom named me after Katherine Hepburn. Um, and so, um, she named me after Katherine Hepburn because, um, she loved that Katherine was this like strong, like badass feminist, right? Like, and wore pants in the time where everyone was wearing skirts and, Mm -hmm. you know, was this fabulous actress that like, didn't care what anybody else thought of her. Um, and so she really wanted, you know, her kid, to aspire to be like her. Um, so, right. I'm like, so, okay. So you named me after probably one of the greatest actresses of all time mm-hmm. problem. Um, and then, um, she would enroll me in like all of these theater camps. Right. Um, and right. They would like love to have me go and do these things. Um, she was never really like a big momager or anything. Like she was never, I mean, obviously she was like delivering babies. Like she was just yeah. too busy for that. She's life. busy. Yeah. She was, she's a little busy. She literally had her hands full. Um, and so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so she, you know, was really supportive of all of the art stuff. They tried to get me in a couple like science camps about like bugs and stuff. And I was just like, not into it. And they could just tell that it was not my vibe, not my jam. Um, but I would go to this Equinox summer camp and just have a total blast. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could tell I was just like a little like entertainer performer. Um, so she was been very supportive, like from the side. And then I would take her to theater. Right. And she would come support the shows and all that kind of stuff. So she has a very like audience-based relationship mm-hmm. with theater, but mainly because I drug them into it. Right. Like they were very much like, okay, like what is this thing? Right. Mm-hmm. We don't really know what we're getting ourselves into here. Um, but you know, as a result, they, <laughs> they've become like very like TV critics. Like they don't watch American television anymore. Um, so, um, they're, they're only like Brit, they're, they're Brit Anglophile people. Like they only watch British television and, um, you know, there would be, um, many times where, you know, they, I, when Downton Abbey was still airing, you know, we would watch an episode at the same time. And then as soon as it was over, we would call each other and talk about what happened on Downton Abbey. And, um, so yeah, I mean, theater was never really a part of her world, which is definitely very strange for me um, and strange for them because they so badly want to 
especially my mom, right? They want to like be good parents and support mm-hmm. and like help and guide. And they're kind of like, we don't know how to help you kid. Um, yeah. we don't really like, you know, cause they're, they're part of, you know, they're boomers and, and they're like, we, um, this is not something that you just like send in your resume and just like, yeah, you know, like you don't just, you have to audition all the time and get rejected mm-hmm. all the time. And like, you know, why haven't you like called the universities you've applied to and been like, Hey, by the way, I would really love to come and work at your university. <laughs> like, why haven't you called them? And it's like, uh-huh. it doesn't work like it's that. Like, I don't know how to explain yeah. the <laughs> um, so yeah, they've just been very like puzzled mm. by this like whole thing. And I think that's been a little overwhelming for them sometimes, but yeah, they, I, I'm just like the weird anomaly. So, um, yeah, they're like, we don't know. We just have this weird theater kid. Um, but I think our connection really is like that, you know, our, our family conversations around sex were very frank, right? Like Mm -hmm. that we, we had all of these like conversations around like sex and like female anatomy, right. Mm -hmm. And like feminist values. So Mm -hmm. then of course, right. When I'm experiencing all of this stuff, not happening in theater, Oh, yeah. Right. That's where I think the tie comes mm. in is that, oh shit. Right. So like my mom is helping reproductive health. Right. And like mm. actual, like people with their real bodies, right. Like navigating these issues primarily with menopause and things like that. And like that massive transition in their lives. Right. And then I'm helping people stage, right. Massive moments like artificially. Right. Uh So like that, I think is kind of the weird connection. It's like, we both work in sex, but like she's real sex (laughs) and I'm fake sex. So like, that's the weird, that's the weird connection that I'm like, Oh, okay. So we're connected through sex. Um, which is a weird thing to say about your mom a little bit. Um, Yeah. A little bit, you know, um, it's, (laughs) she's great. We love Debbie. Love Debbie. Yeah. Do you have siblings? I'm the only child. So that's why it's like, it's extra weird because there's not even like another like weird account. Like I wish there was an accountant brother. Do you know what I mean? Like (laughs) someone to create someone else. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like, oh, that's fine. She's just the weird artist kid. Like, Mm -hmm. no, I'm, I'm it. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's very bizarre. Um, my parents are just kind of like, we don't know. She's just, that's just what she does. Mm -hmm. She stages sex on stage. Yeah. but she's not a pornographer. I you know, like, it's yeah. like, I don't know how they explain it to their friends. I genuinely have no idea. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're they like, probably she's don't. a professor. He's a professor. <laughs> they probably go Just with a stage combat cool. thing. She, they, that's probably what mm-hmm. they move with. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yes. What questions are you feeling called to answer in your work right now? Hmm. I think I'm being called to answer a lot of questions around theater ethics, Mm. Um, how we make the work we make, why we make the work we make. Um, I am being called to answer questions around um, kind of the restorative justice element a little Mm. bit of of this work, um, you know, what is the accountability system for this? Um, because, you know, obviously 
there's several different organizations out there doing intimacy work. Mm-hmm. Um, what is our, what is our accountability system? Mm-hmm. Um, if there is someone who is causing harm, um, yeah. in that system, um, and like, especially what is it, what if it is someone who is like very high up in an organization mm-hmm. that is causing harm? Um, how do we provide accountability for things like that? Yeah. Um, so theater ethics is something I'm, I'm really wondering about how we, we move forward in this mm-hmm. theatrical intimacy space. Um, I think I, I, I'm being called to wrestle with questions of, um, especially in higher education of like, what, like, where is the line between accommodation versus coddling? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. of, of what is, um, trying to make sure that I'm setting up my students for success in the professional industry, but also mm-hmm. acknowledging there are some things in the professional industry that are harmful. Right. So trying to navigate this realm where um, I know that there can be things that are changed um, about the industry. And there are things that are changing about the industry, but there are also some things that probably won't change um, about our industry. And um, it doesn't mean that those things are necessarily bad, um, but how do we help our students? acclimate to that or if that's something they're not willing to acclimate to which is Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. how do I help encourage those students hey if this ain't your bag that's totally cool let's help you find your bag right um because this ain't for everybody it really ain't um and it doesn't mean that you're less than it doesn't mean that this career or this field isn't for you. It just might not be the right pathway for you Mm -hmm. in this field. Um, so trying to navigate that, um, which is really, really tricky right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm now, and we talked a little bit about this Mm -hmm. before, in Indiana. Why is it so funny to me that we were in Indiana? Um, Gary, Indiana, except not there, but anyway. Um, so we talked a little bit about how, how much more, um, like well-versed students are now, or I shouldn't say students cause it's, they're not all students, but like young folks are mm-hmm. <clears throat> with understanding things like boundaries. Like when I was in high school, the word boundaries was for geography class. Like there was not, yeah. we were not talking about how to set fences around yourself and how to say, this is okay. This is not okay. We weren't, that wasn't it. And, but if you talk to young artists today, they have the language, they have the concepts, um, they're just so much more, um, prepared and practiced at thinking about their mental health and thinking about Mm -hmm. their holistic wellness, which is phenomenal. But then again, you end up where you are, where it's like, okay, we, um, I need to be kind. Right. But also you've been late to class 20 times. And so, (laughs) uh, you know, and so I don't know. Yeah, that it is. It's a tricky thing, but it's um, right. Well, and yeah, it's like, listen, I, I, I totally it's it's a balance. And right. Like, I understand that there are topics that students will not want to navigate. Totally get that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely welcome that. 
there are totally, I mean, in the real world, right. We can self-select for what shows we want to audition for and not audition for. Right. Mm -hmm. And the same is true in our program. The same is absolutely true. If there's a show that you're like, that is not my bag. Like I should not be anywhere near that show. Not a problem. We are not a, you must audition for everything program. Like that is not our thing. Um, And how wonderful will it be systemically when we get to the point where audition notices include things like this production has such and such. Yeah. Be, be clear with like, what is in the show so people can self-select a little bit easier, especially yeah. with new work that you can't just like go get a script at the library. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Well, and, and just, you know, re- the reality of like, Hey, like I know this about myself, right. Mm-hmm. I can self-select in this way. Right. If your list is hella long though. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where the challenge comes in. Right. So it's like the question of, is it uncomfortable or is it unsafe? Right. Because those are two different things. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that that's the language that we haven't, that, that our, our young folks haven't quite developed yet is like mm-hmm. navigating the difference of like, Ooh, this feels uncomfy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to explore a little bit here and then kind of pull back. But like, um, I don't know mm-hmm. how I feel about this versus I'm like, whoa, this is dangerous territory for me to wade in at all. Yeah. Because not everything is going to be Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella. Like, right. There's only so many productions of that show. Right. Right. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So that, um, uh, uh, here's something. So I was chatting with, um, Bridget McCarthy, who also does really wonderful work in theatrical intimacy, of like trauma-informed work. Um, mm-hmm. And we were talking a little bit about how, because theatrical intimacy work is so new, relatively, that uh, this, and I think I think you bring this up too in your work, that the standards are not set yet. No. So I can go, I can take like a two-hour online workshop and be like, I'm trained in theatrical intimacy versus uh, I can go and do a six-week in-person Mm-hmm. you know, residency somewhere. Um, and, and so like, I just, I'm curious what your thoughts are about the, um, the standards within this work, um, and where that's going, what that looks like. Yeah. How do we know when someone says, oh yeah, I'm an intimacy director that like, they actually have an idea of what they're doing. Sure. My, my answer is references mm. and, and they need to provide references. Um, and for me, um, if they're not able to provide references, um, that is a red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, because here's the thing, like, I, I know that there are so many people out there who, um, I'm thinking of my assistant, um, on, on Venus and fur, um, who is like such a go-getter and is like so hungry and like, wants to be able to do this work and like is so well-intentioned and so thoughtful and asks wonderful questions, like, but their resume is like this long. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and has done so much training with me. Right. So like on paper, it would look like that she is very inexperienced. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but if someone called me and was like, tell me about Bell Reeves. I would be like, let me tell you about Bell Reeves. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would go on for hours about how awesome Bell Reeves is. Yeah. Um, 
So for me, right, the reference piece is really key because if I know how someone works in a space and how other people have worked with that person um, and how that person has either changed or defined a space or like what's the scope of the work that they've done, right, with that person. If it was something like, oh, yeah, I know they came in for a rehearsal and they kind of just mm. like talked to us about boundaries. It was really helpful. Okay, so they just did a conversation, yeah. right? Do you know what I mean? Like that that's the information that I can gather. Um, I always encourage people to take as much training as they can, like from as many different people as they can. Um, but, you know, I also find that like the issue of certification, I, I fundamentally find it as a form of gatekeeping. Um, it's just too cost prohibitive, right? But that's why, you know, like I'm, my organization is like very much against that as a principle, mm -hmm. um, because we don't certify directors to be directors. Right. Um, and, and so the idea that, um, you know, you have to spend $10,000 to like be one of these people, like that is yeah. a big problem for me. Um, yeah. so for me, it's about like, what trainings have you done? Like, who have you worked with? Right. What experience do you have? Um, and really what work have you done with those people? It doesn't even have to be for like full fledged. It could be something that it's like, Hey, you know, um, for our directing one class, you know, they did all of the intimacy support for our entire directing one class, the entire semester. Whoa. Okay. That's a lot of work mm -hmm. for a 16 week class. Like that's a lot of intimacy support. Like that's yeah. exciting. If somebody tells me that they did that. Right. Or, um, oh yeah. Like, um, you know, we were doing a fringe festival show and it was like devised. And so there was a lot of like negotiating of stuff. Right. So for me, the reference piece is what's really, really key, because mm -hmm. if those references can't tell me like what it is that they did, then I know like, okay, like I might not call this person in, or mm -hmm. I might not contact this person until another year goes by. Yeah. Um, and they have a chance to get some more experience. Right. Um, and like the interview piece too of it of, you know, so like, how do you approach the work? Like, how do you function in space? Um, what, what is your collaboration dynamic? Like what, what can you offer? Um, for me tells more than, than a lot of the, mm -hmm. like, oh, I took a, you know, I'm certified, right? Like that doesn't right. really, you know, that doesn't really matter to me. Um, yeah. it's more, it's more about like, can you provide support that's needed to the space and, um, function as an actor advocate? So like, for example, um, I'm teaching a class this fall. That's a theatrical intimacy class, right. Um, for people, at my institution who want to eventually become intimacy directors, intimacy choreographers, intimacy designers, right? So they're going to get 16 weeks of training mm -hmm. with me, mm -hmm. right? And a grade for that class, right? Um, so that isn't necessarily a certification, right? But right, right. that's pretty intensive training. Mm -hmm. So what, would would you say that's you know that's the yeah, kind of like stuff what that else I would, would you need yep 
what, what, what is the information that you need to make that executive decision? And I think it's also a matter about what kind of support are you looking for, for what kind of project, right? If you're looking for someone that you're doing, oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know why you would, but if you're doing reasons to be pretty, um, but, um, if you're doing a show like that, um, and you need like minimal support, like mm-hmm. nothing that's like earth shattering, um, you know, you could hire in someone that's a little greener, right. Who's still trying to get their feet wet who's still, you know, working on the craft and developing their skills. If you're doing streetcar, you know, right. You might want someone a little more experienced to be mm-hmm. able to do that. Um, maybe someone who's even done streetcar before or assisted on streetcar. Right. Um, so again, right. It's just a matter of what experience level are you looking for? Um, and, and can you call those references to get a, an assessment of, mm-hmm. of what kind of work they do? Um, because that's really going to tell me how they work in space and like what they did is going to tell me more than what it says on a piece of paper. Right. Right. Yeah. Great tips. Um, from your unique perspective, sitting where you sit within like the constellation of the theater world, <clears throat> how is theater being shaped right now? If we cast forward a generation from today, what's going to look different because of what is happening right now? Hmm. Um, I think, I think we'll see more. God, I hope we'll see more original work. Um, mm, mm. I am going to get t-shirts printed that say, let Shakespeare go out of style because <laughs> I'm like, I have, I am such a personal thing about Shakespeare. I'm so tired. Like, I'm just tired of seeing us try to take what's happening today and like round peg it into a square hole yep. of Shakespeare or of, you know, like the, the Oklahoma, they just did the revival. Like, mm-hmm. why are you doing Oklahoma? Like if what you want to say is this over here, mm-hmm. why are you trying to put that message on top of a show that does not say that? Mm-hmm. Can't we just like go on to new play exchange and mm-hmm. find a new work by a playwright who's alive today and pay somebody who's alive today, who's writing work that says the message you want to say, I'm, I'm sorry, this is, I'm so passionate about this. No, I'm so, but I, I don't know. I'm so just true. so tired of that. Well, Cause here's the thing, right? Like who's funding the theater, the boomers. Yeah. Right. And so like, I, I, and like as morbid as this sounds, like what happens when the boomers die? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and so for me, it's like, okay, so that wealth gap, right. Mm-hmm. Is then now created where, the producing wing is no longer that of, you know, jukebox musical, nostalgia for Motown, right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and does it become, because we don't have, where our generation is not going to have as much wealth as that previous generation, mm-hmm. right? For the first time in right, how many years, right? right? Um, does theater become more of a collective funding, right? Mm -hmm. So then does that mean that we get a much more diverse representation of what's being produced because it is much more of a collective Mm -hmm. um, and it's more voices that are coming together to say, hey, as a collective, this is what we want to see. 
are we going to get breakdowns of big, large Broadway theaters? Because there isn't anyone to fund those massive houses anymore, Mm -hmm. unless there's a large collective of diverse voices to come together and fund those theaters in which we have more programming like the Under the Radar Festival um, that the public does, right? So we're seeing more smaller budget array of shows, right? Rather than one really long run of Beetlejuice, right? Do you know what I mean? Like we're seeing, we're seeing, and it's like, so that's what I'm thinking. It's going to be more like, if you caught it, you caught it. If you missed it, you missed it, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think it'll be more of that. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that we will be more welcoming to access in terms of the recordings of shows Mm -hmm. and making those recordings available for purchase. Um, because that, I think the pandemic has taught us that that was a huge source of access for Mm -hmm. people who haven't been able to go to the theater before. Um, and I think us cutting that out now that, which I don't believe quote unquote, the pandemic is over. It's not, um, but, um, the, now that the pandemic is over in scare quotes, um, that we're now going to go back and eliminate that because theater is an ephemeral art form. You're telling me that there's not a show cut of everything. Like we know that they're all, they're all in the New York public library. Like we know this, we know that there's a recording of everything. So if, if we know that they're being recorded anyway, right what can we do to make them available to a wider audience? Mm-hmm. Why can't we make these available? What theatrical scholarship would that generate, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, how exciting would that be to then have like the New York Theater Archives like be available digitally, yeah. right? Like how exciting would that be that you could go back and watch like the OG um, production of um, Sunday in the Park with George, right? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. what if you could go back and watch that? Um, and you know, for class experiences, right. I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about like, if you're in high school and you're going to do that play, right. And you can watch Mandy Patinkin sing his little heart out, right. As a baby, um, Mm -hmm. like that would be incredible. Um, and to your point, I think that that also requires moving away from work by, uh, away from work that's owned by trusts essentially. So I think about, um, you know, I do a lot of work with like high school theater festivals and I, Uh, So I spent a lot of time looking at um, the rights that are available for competition Mm -hmm. cuttings. Yep. Um, And there are a few, they're all men um, whose estates do not allow competition cuttings, um, whose estates also will not allow you to record, of course. And so when you look at like, okay, Neil Simon's an example. Okay. So Neil Simon, you can't, you can't do anything. You can't cut from his shows. You can't change any words. um, No recordings, right? All the things super strict. That's great. But guess what? Like if, if we need to move towards accessibility and recordings and digital access, then we need to not do Neil Simon. And guess what, Neil Simon Estate, you either are going to change to like meet the needs of the growing upcoming theater population, or you're going to be left behind. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Fingers crossed that we see some of that stuff happening. Yeah. And I think, you know, people are getting really excited about, you know, new work. And I think people are hungry for new work because everyone's tired of seeing the same four shows. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. I I can't tell you about like the last thing that I've been excited about, like, oh my God, I have to get to New York to see that thing. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, 
because they're all based on movies. And it's like, yeah, okay. Right. I did it's see like, a beautiful new work last night that ripped me into pieces. Um, and I'm still putting myself back together again, but it was, oh, no. it was gorgeous. It was at, I know it was at the La Jolla Playhouse. Um, it was called Lempica and it's about, um, she's an artist that like was born in Poland, but she does a, a, like, you would recognize her work. If you saw it. it's like modernist industrialist, oh. um, from like in the, through the thirties mostly is when she was working. And mm. so that very, um, it, you know, where like the people look like statues or like the people look like oh, metal machines, cool. kind of gorgeous, gorgeous work. Um, but this musical was just like, I was like sobbing through the first half of act one and then through the second half of act two. And in between, I was just like gutted and feeling all the things. And I was like, this is amazing. So new work is happening. It is being produced. It is incredible. Um, it is telling the stories that we need to hear today because it's being written today. So it's out there. It's out there. And hopefully um, when we produce works that are by people who are alive today, who have lived yeah. through this pandemic, who've lived through the digital age, they see the value of that. And hopefully yeah. they can like, well, they'll write that into their rights, into their estates and to like make that um, licensing possible, you know? Absolutely. And to celebrate the work that's <gasps> happening in us flyover states too, right? I yeah, think a lot of people absolutely. forget that work is happening out here. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people forget that, um, you know, uh, you know, Oklahoma city is, is uh, they're calling it baby Austin, right? Like we are having a mm. massive Renaissance right now. And, uh, there's a lot of up and coming new theater companies that are starting. I mean, the one I'm working with, um, coming up, they're doing Lizzie, the musical, which Ooh, I'm super yeah. excited for. Um, <laughs> and the founder just turned 21. Right. Mm. Um, so I mean, Yay. like it's brand new babies that are coming yeah. up and like making theater companies and saying there needs to be more theater in Oklahoma city. Right. Um, so I, that's, what's exciting to me is like seeing students of mine who have just graduated and also from other places who have just graduated and said, no, I'm starting a theater company right here in mm -hmm. Oklahoma, rather than going to New York, rather than going to LA, rather than going to Chicago. I'm making the art here because this is where it needs to happen. Um, that's and that's awesome. where I think the local part is going to be a really important piece too. Yeah. Um, do you want to shout out that theater company's name? Yes. It's um, Southern Plains Productions. Um, and then um, Co-Arts Pro is the other one that's started by um, University of Oklahoma grads. So awesome. um, good yeah. job, friends. Way to go. They're doing great work. Yeah. All right. We're in our last little bit. <sighs> Here we go. These should be fast. Amazing. Um, what question do I, do you wish that I had asked you? Mm, oh, what question do I wish that you had asked me? Um, I wish that you had asked me about, I don't know. Uh, I wish that you had asked me about I have no idea. Amazing. Great. That means I covered all the bases. Yeah, you covered I did it a all. good job. You did a great job. Well done, Emily. Woo woo. <laughs> all righty. So here's the last one. Well, the second to last one. Um, this is a moment to plant a seed in the hearts, minds, or spirits of the folks who are listening to this podcast today. Plant a seed. Mm-hmm. I 
I would love to plant a seed of I would love to plant a seed of hope um, for the future, not just of our artistic lives, um, but also for the future of our country, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, I would love to plant a seed of hope that um, this weird, weird moment of history that we are living through right now that feels so uncertain um, and feels like, like the most rage-inducing, frustrating, um, like we are in the upside down, like that this moment will fuel us to action. Um, to move our to move our field forward and to move our world forward and to move the future forward and to really create the communities that we want to live in Mm -hmm. instead of the worlds that we've just been existing in. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right, Dr. Kate Bissell, if folks who are listening want to contact you, hire yeah. you, or yeah. learn more about the work that you do, where can they find you? So uh, you can find me all over the internet. Um, you can, I'm <laughs> literally all everywhere, literally all over the internet. Um, so you can go to, um, katebassell.com if you want to contact me, um, and say, Hey, what's up or read any of my scholarship, um, and, <laughs> um, follow me on new play exchange. If you want, um, I leave recommendations all the time. Um, and if you want to learn more about um, Heartland Intimacy Design and Training, you can go to heartlandintimacydesign.com. If you go to the services tab, it'll take you right to the online training portal. Um, and we have a sneak peek exclusive with Emily. Um, we have new courses that are being dropped sometime this month. So very exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, you can also like us on Facebook uh, at Heartland Intimacy Design and Training on Instagram at Heartland Intimacy Design or on Twitter at Heartland underscore ID. Amazing. I will put all of those links in the show notes for podcast listeners. Excellent. Um, well, uh, Kate, this was amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to Thank share your you. story. And your this has been a blast. Energy. Yay. Um, Yay. I'm, I've really enjoyed connecting with you and I look forward to future conversations. Absolutely. This is going to be great. Hey listeners, this is Emily Stamets and that was Kate Bussell that I was chatting with. Thank you for listening today. Please remember to like, follow, and share this podcast with two people that you think would appreciate it. Um, head back to listen to previous episodes, see what's there. If you have questions, if you know someone who would be a fantastic podcast guest, including yourself, please email me podcast at emilystamets.com. Uh, or you can find me in all the places. I am at the Emily Stamets on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, all of the places, all of the places um, you can find me. Thank you again for listening. And I hope that your day is beautiful as well.